0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. This morning's reading is taken from the book of Habakkuk. That's on page 940 of the Pew Bibles. Page 940. Habakkuk, chapter 1. the prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralysed, And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty people whose own strength is their God. Lords, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Rob. Good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you. Uh, if you can, do keep your Bibles open at that reading from Habakkuk chapter 1. It's on page 940 in the church Bibles. I think you'll find it a great help to have uh, God's Word in front of us as we go through that chapter. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to your Word now, we need your help. We pray for your spirit to be at work amongst us. As we look at Habakkuk 1, help us to believe your word and to not just believe it, but to stand on it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, a man named Terry Price went out to the shops and While he was away, thieves broke into his house and they stole 3,000 pounds. It was his life savings. Terry has terminal cancer and that money had been set aside to buy some final Christmas presents for his grandchildren and to pay for his funeral costs. As we look around the world today, Have we ever wondered how God could allow such terrible things to happen? I'm very grateful for the police in this country, for our legal system, but at times they feel overwhelmed. Uh, Recently, our, our neighbor had their car stolen from their driveway, and it seems there's very little chance that anything will be done about it. Does God care? about such things this week the autumn financial statement was published by the chancellor it seems the next few years will be a very difficult time for us as a country but unequally so inevitably at such moments it seems that it's the poorest in our country who are going to feel the hardship the most and it feels unfair doesn't it Or thinking more globally, COP27 has just finished. And one of the big sticking points, it seems, at that conference was whether wealthy countries that have made their wealth as they've been big polluters, whether they will pay compensation to poorer countries who've done less to pollute, but who are now experiencing the results of the pollution. And we feel the injustice again, don't we? As the Football World Cup starts today in Qatar, Huge questions remain about the welfare of the workers who built the stadiums with persistent reports of terrible working conditions and indeed many deaths on the building sites. And I could go on. I haven't even mentioned the war in Ukraine yet. But when we stop and engage with what is happening in our world, aren't we bound to wonder as Christians, what is God doing about it? Does he care? Where is he? And we aren't the first people to wonder such questions. Habakkuk chapter one, verse two. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Habakkuk was a prophet, that's clear from verse one. He lived in the final days Before the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem and carried the people of God off into exile. We are around about 600 BC. And he is distressed by the state of the world as he sees it. By the wickedness both within the people of God and beyond. But as we go through Habakkuk and over the next few weeks, we're going to see a shift by the end of the book. His circumstances wouldn't have changed, but he's able to sing a song of joy and of confidence in the Lord. As Johnny mentioned, we're entering a season of Advent. As we look forward to the return of Christ, Habakkuk is gonna help us to wait well in a broken and confusing world. Over the next three weeks, we may not have all the questions we have in our minds, answered by what Habakkuk will show us. But as we look over the shoulder of Habakkuk and as we hear his conversation with the Lord about his struggles with the world, we're gonna see how we can wait well, how we can pray, how we can remain firm in our faith, even as we're baffled by the state of the world until that day Christ returns and put all things right. Today in Habakkuk 1, It's really the beginning of that journey that Habakkuk will take from confusion to confidence. But I hope as we begin that journey with him this morning, uh, we'll see even this morning things that will help us stand firm. So this morning as we dive in, we've got three points. The first is this, a cry of confusion. Verse 2 again. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Habakkuk is looking around him, and what he sees distresses him. He sees violence. He sees people hurting other people. And he's watching on in horror. God's people are not meant to get on like this. Well, verse 3, why do you make me look at injustice? In Habakkuk's day, the king of Judah was Jehoiakim. And we know from another book in the Bible from Jeremiah that Jehoiakim, at one point in his reign... Wanted to extend his palace and make it more glorious. And so he took some of the people of God and he forced them to work on his palace and he wouldn't pay them. Extortion, oppression. That's the kind of thing that Habakkuk sees as he looks out on the people of God. And it wasn't just the king who was doing it. Verse 3 continues Destruction and violence are before me, there is strife and conflict abounds. Wherever Habakkuk looks, he sees the people behaving in terrible ways. If your neighbor did break in and nick your stuff, well, there's no point going to the law courts to put things right, because if he went, nothing will be done. Verse 4, therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The courts were rigged, the judges are corrupt, the people are helpless— there is no access to justice. And for Habakkuk, the problem gets worse because he knows the Lord knows. Verse 3 Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? It would be one thing if there was no God. And this world was just random chaos. But Habakkuk is a believer. And it is his belief in God that adds an extra dimension of distress to his prayer. C.S. Lewis wrote the book, A Grief Observed, following the death of his beloved wife. And in A Grief Observed, he writes this. Talk to me about the truth of religion, and I'll listen gladly. Talk to me about the duty of religion, and I'll listen submissively. But don't come talking to me about the consolations of religion, or I shall suspect that you don't understand. You see, in some ways, belief in God... Makes it harder, not easier. That was Habakkuk's experience. As we look around today, injustice, abusive power, it's not just a problem out there somewhere in the world, it's also a problem as it was in Habakkuk's day within the people of God as well, across the church in this world and for those who do experience injustice or the abuse of power at the hands of others within the church. It's not just a horizontal problem between people. It's a vertical problem with God as well. How could God allow such things to happen? Terry Price, that man I mentioned at the beginning who had his house broken into, When his neighbors heard that he had lost the 3,000 pounds, they got together, and so far in just a week, they've raised 7,000 pounds as a gift to give back to him. And that's what friends and neighbors do, isn't it? When you're in a hard spot and something terrible happens, people rally around to help. But what about God? When it comes to God, and... As we look at the distress and the brokenness of this world, and it happens day in, day out, nothing seems to change. What about God? Does he care? Where is he? Verse 2, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. A cry of confusion. As we grapple with the state of our world today, it would be easy, I think, to bury our heads in the sand or to shake our fist at God and to want to leave him bitter and angry. But Habakkuk does neither. He's a great example for us. He keeps coming back to God in prayer. It's raw, it's honest, It's heartfelt, and it's okay. It's good, it's right to pray like this. We are allowed to be real with the Lord, to pour out our hearts to him as Habakkuk does in these opening verses. A cry of confusion. That's our first point. And then God responds. And that takes us to our second point. Here's God's response. A surprising answer. A surprising answer. The Lord has been hearing Habakkuk's cry all along and finally the time has come when he will act to look at verse five. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am about to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. We can't be sure, but I suspect that as Habakkuk pours out his heart to the Lord in prayer, longing for God to step in and fix things, he was hoping that God would bring a a better king to rule over the people. God had done it before. This isn't the first time God's people had been in a right state, and in the past, God had sent kings to put things right. So just recently, King Josiah had been sent by the Lord, a good and godly king who had a heart and a love for God's word, and he brought the people back to God's law, And under Josiah, there was a kind of reformation that took place for a time. Not hard to imagine Habakkuk praying that God would send another Josiah to bring about another reformation. But not this time. Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to dwellings, not their own. And there's no doubt about what the outcome will be. Verse 8 Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. It's the stuff of nightmares, isn't it? Being chased through the darkness by wild animals you can't escape from. Well, the Babylonians will come and hunt down and destroy Judah the people of God. Their numbers are vast, verse 9. Hordes of them will come. Verse 10, they fear no one. No king, no city is safe. The point is very clear. The Lord is going to use the Babylonians to bring about a terrible judgment on the wickedness of the people of Judah. And we know from history that this is exactly what happens. We've just been looking at uh, Nehemiah through the autumn, which picks up the story at the other end of the exile, as the Babylonians allow God's people to return back to a broken Jerusalem. Well, before it all happens, God told Habakkuk that it would. And it's hard to know what is more surprising, that God would treat his people this way, or that he would use the Babylonians to do it. End of verse 11. The Babylonians are a guilty people whose own strength is their God. These Babylonians, they are not God-fearers. They are simply out for themselves, a wicked people, and yet God is going to use them to judge his own. It is a surprising answer. Now, as we think about how this applies to us many hundreds of years later, we need to be careful. This is God's particular answer to Habakkuk at a certain time in history. And so I don't think we can simply transfer all the details from Habakkuk 1 to our day, in our moment. But I do think we can draw out lasting principles that do apply. I want to mention three This morning. The first is this the Lord is absolutely and totally in charge. He can summon a mighty nation, much like a shepherd might whistle for his dog to come. Habakkuk has been enduring this terrible season of crying out to the Lord again and again with no response. Well, here we see the delay is not caused because the Lord is unable to intervene. No, the Lord is supreme. He rules over all. And as we head into the season of of Advent, and as we think about the return of Christ, we need to know with certainty that the Lord can and will bring judgment at his appointed time. The delay we might experience now is not because he lacks the power to judge. The second principle is this the Lord can and indeed does use evil to accomplish his good plans. I say this nervously. Because I know this is not simply some abstract logic to get our heads around. No, this is real and painful and personal for many here today. The Lord is never the author of evil. No, he is pure and holy. We'll see more of that in just a moment. And yet again and again in the scriptures, he does use evil without ever being culpable for it to bring about his good plans. And that's what we're seeing here in Habakkuk 1. This may throw up for us all kinds of questions. There's so much we won't know this side of glory. But I think it does help us to see that at the very climax of God's plans for his people, at the cross of Christ, we see this pattern of God using evil to achieve good in its most dramatic form. In Acts chapter 2, as Peter addresses the Jews after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he says this. I think the words will come up on the screen. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Speaking of Jesus, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. You see, the cross of Christ was not an accident. It was God's eternal plan to save the world. But Peter continues, and ye, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by kneeling him to the cross. The cross only happened because of wicked men. And so can you see, God brought about a good thing, the salvation from sin for the people who trust in him, but he brought it about through wicked people. And in just a moment, as we share the meal of bread and wine, as we remember the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus, that he died for us, perhaps this morning we come particularly remembering that Jesus knows what it's like to live in a story where God uses evil to bring about good. Don't we see this in the Garden of Gethsemane? on the eve of his death, as he cries out in anguish, knowing what's about to happen, Jesus understands the particular turmoil that comes from this experience. And if we feel it today, we can come to Jesus knowing that he understands us, that he is gentle and moved by the struggles we feel as God sovereignly works out his good purposes, even through evil. And we can pray to him knowing he hears and understands. But that takes me to my third principle God is sovereign, God uses evil to achieve good. Finally, God's ways are often baffling. That's verse 5, isn't it? Who would have thought of using the Babylonians? God's ways are not our ways. And very often, his plans will make absolutely no sense to us whatsoever. Not now, but until Christ returns. And so if he we were to stop our series there, if that was the end of Habakkuk's message, we might think, well, how can we live in the moment? There's so much confusion around. Well, Habakkuk doesn't stop there. In many ways, I'd say to you, come back. The next two chapters of Habakkuk because there's much more for us to see as he moves from confusion to confidence. But we get a glimpse this morning of the journey we'll go on. And here's our third point a place to stand. A place to stand. We've seen Habakkuk cry out in confusion God, why aren't you doing anything? We've seen God's surprising response, I'm about to, using the Babylonians, and now Habakkuk responds to God. And we see from verse 12 onwards that he is utterly confused about why God would work this way. But what I want us to see is what he does first. He has lots of questions, we'll get there in just a moment, but first he focuses on what he does know about the Lord. Verse 12, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. The tone here is emphatic, not questioning. Habakkuk is is absolutely confident the Lord is eternal. And this matters. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of driving up in the peaks along some narrow single-tracked road And it's a twisty one, lots of bends and turns. And as you drive along the narrow road, the road bends around, and you can't see what's around the bend, what's coming at you. It's a surprise. Every corner brings a new view you couldn't see before. That's how, how we often experience life, isn't it? We can just see a little bit ahead of us, but around the bend, there's nothing certain that we can tell until we get there. But that is not how God experiences the unfolding of history. God is eternal. He always has been, and he always will be. And the way God experiences the unfolding of history is as one looking down from above who sees all things at all times, caught out by nothing, surprised by nothing. And whatever God is doing, as he announces his plan to use the wicked Babylonians, he has a perspective Habakkuk doesn't have. And I think that's why verse 12 matters. And as verse 12 continues, Habakkuk calls the Lord His rock. The Lord is still the one place of true stability and certainty in the world. And then verse 13: "Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Whatever the Lord is doing, Habakkuk remembers, "The Lord is always holy. He is always right. And so, can we see what Habakkuk is doing? He's remembering that God is, God is eternal. God is a rock. God is holy. Habakkuk is, is tracing out what he does know about the Lord. And within the parts that he's certain, within those parameters, he's then laying out his questions and what he doesn't know. Verse 13. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk is still utterly baffled. In verses 14 to 17, he likens the Babylonians to fishermen, using great nets to drag the nations in without mercy. How could God do this? And so to verse 1, he comes to the end. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, I will look and see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. You see, Habakkuk is going nowhere. Like a watchman on the wall, he is looking to God to give an answer to his complaint, to his struggles. But it's not the stand of an unbeliever. Habakkuk has reminded himself of what is true about the Lord. Whatever is going on, whatever God is doing, Habakkuk knows God is eternal, God is a rock, God is holy and just. And within those boundaries, Habakkuk takes his stand and he waits for God to answer. And I think this is so helpful for us. This side of glory We may have to live with so many questions that we don't get answers to until Christ returns. We'll have to stand and wait. And it is okay to tell God about our questions, to be baffled and confused about what we can see in the world. And in this season of Advent, we look forward to the return of Christ, knowing that when he does come back, we will receive I take it the answers to our questions, but in the meantime, like Habakkuk, we take our stand and we wait by remembering the Lord, remembering he is eternal, he knows all things, he is our rock today, we can trust him, he is holy and just, whatever he's doing, he is pure and right And we also know something Habakkuk could only guess at. This side of the cross, we know our heavenly father loves us so much that he was willing to send his only beloved son into the world to die on the cross for us, to put right our sin and to secure our place before his throne when he returns. And whatever tears we weep now, whatever questions we have the Lord. We can add this to the boundaries we draw. God loves us. And as we come and share this meal in just a moment, let's come and stand here, confident in his love until Christ returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Habakkuk, how he didn't duck the hard questions for his honesty and the gritty realism of his prayers. Thank you, Father, that we are allowed to speak to you like this, that we can come to you with our confusion and our distress. Father, please help us also to stand firm on what we know to be true of you, your eternal sovereign control, that you are a rock, that you are holy, and that you love us. And as we cry out to you with our questions, help us to go on persevering in our faith as we wait for you to return. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.